Good afternoon. It's Wednesday, the 18th of October, 2023, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News. Your host today, Mike Robinson, myself, Brian Gerrish, and we're delighted to be joined by Debbie Evans. And I'll just add, it's a very wet, cold and blustery day here in Plymouth. Um, Debbie, uh, we're going to try and keep the focus on the children. Yes, good afternoon, everyone. Um, you know, for a very long time, UK Column has been covering many stories on children, whether it be child abuse, child trafficking, um, slavery, um, and, and pregnant women. And I can't possibly cover all the stories and atrocities that are affecting women and children around the world today, but I would like to cover just a few. But I'm hearing the word humanity, humanitarian, all of, the, all of the time. It's kind of slips off the tongue. And I just wanted to remind people what the word humanitarian means. According to the Cambridge Dictionary, humanitarian involved in or connected with improving people's lives and reducing suffering. The definition of inhumane, however, is cruel to people or animals in not caring about their suffering or about the conditions under which they live. The definition of a child is a person from the time of birth until he or she is an adult or a son or daughter of any age. And most countries that we'll be referring to are countries that classify children as under the age of 18. And an adult, a person or animal that has grown to full size and strength. And I'd just like to remind people too of an interview that we did very recently with Dr. Ross Jones, consultant, a retired consultant paediatrician, that we called Suffer the Little Children because we discussed lockdowns, the effects of lockdowns on children, the vaccination program on children all around the world, um, and what was the, what were the effects. And it's not really that long ago, if we cast our mind back just three years, where children were sitting in circles in the playground or sitting apart from one another in the classroom masked, and the effects, the psychological effects on our children, the don't kill granny campaign that went on. So when I look at the abuse and the, the torture that many children are going through, one can't, one can't help to be, I was surprised to learn that over 40% of the population of Gaza are children, children. Some people say that it's 42%, but that's still a huge, huge figure, 40% 40, 40 of children. And the only story that I could find, I'm very sad to say, um, on the net that was covering children in both Israel and Gaza was ABC News, who say the horrendous toll on children caught in the Israel and Gaza conflict. And it really is horrific. So let's just look at some of the images or a couple of the images from that article in ABC News. This is a Palestinian a little Palestinian girl crying during the funeral of Amir Ghanan, who was killed in an Israeli airstrike on the buildings in Khan Yunis, Gaza Strip, on October the 10th. Similarly, let's have a look at a picture of a little Israeli girl who's absolutely terrified, waking up to the sound of incoming rockets fired from the Gaza Strip. These children are terrified, and if we go to the Middle East, I we can see that over a thousand Palestinian children, as of this report, and that's not taking into account the absolutely horrific uh, attack last night on the hospital, which I know Mike will be talking about in a minute. A thousand children have been killed in Gaza, and it's not just physical harm, it's also psychological harm. And the article goes on to say that many of these children um, have been used to listening to airstrikes. They've, they've, they've grown up in it. They were born in it and the repercussions are huge. And I was struck by the Palestinian politician, Aida Tulma Sleeman, who said no child, neither Jew nor Palestine, Palestinian is guilty and that no child should be a victim of this blood cycle. The emotional repercussions for these children are profound and they really are profound. And if we go to the next slide, we can see an extremely distraught dad. This is Yuri David, overcome with emotion during a press conference in Israel as his two daughters, age five and three, and his wife were taken hostage to Gaza. And in the next slide, the BBC are reporting that 
in hospital and and this is one of the bigger hospitals this is the al shifa hospital this is the biggest hospital in gaza 120 are intubated in intensive care many of them are neonates and this is a picture of a little girl in intense pain and her relatives died and her house was destroyed but it's not just children and it's not just babies it's also pregnant women and cnn were covering this story um, a report from action aid and I was actually quite shocked to understand that there are 50,000 pregnant women in Gaza as we speak, trapped in Gaza. There are 5,000 pregnant women due to give birth this month. That's 200 a day, 200 a day. And where do they go? They go nowhere. There's no hygiene. There's no water. There's nothing. And as CNN World say, the healthcare system itself in Gaza is critical. It's under attack, on the brink of collapse. And these pregnant women that we're seriously concerned about have nowhere to go. They're facing unthinkable challenges, Alan said in an interview with CNN on Sunday. And it's not just the children in Israel. It's not just the children in Palestine. It's also the children of Ukraine. And we're... There are children all over the world and the children in Ukraine have been suffering, they've been displaced, they've been orphaned, they've been traumatized. And if we go to the next slide, you can freeze the screen to see some of the problems that um, affect the children in Ukraine. In fact, I think there's a couple of slides, please feel free to, uh, to freeze the screen. But we're talking corporal punishment, we're talking um, discrimination, we're talking 8% of Ukrainian children are working in prostitution or pornography. And it's not just Ukraine either. It's just recently in Afghanistan, they had their third huge earthquake, which has now killed over 2,400. 90% of these that have died are women and children, innocent women and children. And the reason being that many were, were out um, the men were out in the field when the earthquake took place and it was the women and children that were at home and so this has caused enormous devastation this is affecting women children and babies all innocent all around the world and just before we jumped up to mike's section on the hospital i just want to put the health system into perspective a little bit um so in gaza there are 30 hospitals and clinics 13 are run by the ministry of health um, the rest are private and are run by ngos the United Nations and the WHO have been working with the Palestinian Ministry of Health, as have the World Bank Education and Health and Rehabilitation Project. Thus far, there have been 34 attacks on, on healthcare facilities, and there have been 11 WHO health workers killed and 16 injured. The biggest hospital in Gaza is the Al-Shifa, which has 500 beds. That's the largest. And apparently there's reports coming from there to say that ventilators are being switched off to make room for the wounded. The hospital that was affected last night, which I know Mike's coming on to now, the Al-Alhi Hospital has 80 beds. And the name means the Arab People's Hospital. Um, so that's just to put it in context a little bit. Children I and babies, all innocent. Yes, and Debbie, this hospital was uh, a Christian hospital. Yes, yes, it, it was. It was founded in 1882 uh, by the Church Mission Society, Church of England, and it's now managed by the Episcopal Church of Jerusalem. Indeed. So uh, the question is, uh, what happened there? So, uh, well, here is a little bit of the footage uh, showing the aftermath. Uh, clearly, uh, some... Uh, huge explosion has taken place there. The narrative on this, the developing, it is developing narrative, uh, and uh, the Israelis are absolutely denying at this point that they had anything to do with it. They are claiming that it was the result of uh, a rocket which misfired. Uh, from the Hamas side. Well, it was from the Islamic Jihad, but, but in any case, uh, this was uh, one of the videos uh, that would, was sent out uh, on uh, Twitter. A press conference amongst piles of murdered and massacred Palestinians is the tweet saying, uh, I've never seen anything like this before. Uh, and it's, you know, we're talking hundreds of dead here and so on. So the question is, what happened? Well, I want to start off uh, just by having a look at one of the early BBC reports uh, and see what, uh, what they were reporting at the time. Israeli military has been contacted uh, for comment and they have said 
that they are investigating. But, uh, you know, it is hard to see what else this could be, really, given the size of the explosion, other than an Israeli airstrike or several airstrikes. Uh, because, you know, when we've seen rockets being fired out of Gaza, uh, we never see uh, explosions of that scale. We might see uh, half a dozen, maybe a few more people being killed in such rocket attacks, but we've never seen anything uh, on the scale of the sort of explosion on the video I was watching earlier, uh, which, as you say, is still to be verified. Okay, so that was an early BBC report. Uh, here is an early, uh, later than the BBC report, but this is MSNBC and what they were saying. Well, this is an absolutely classic fog of war situation, and we should be really clear. NBC News is not able to get into Gaza right now. The Israeli border is sealed. The Egyptian border is sealed. Our teams are not able to get there and to verify this directly. We should also say that the Israeli military at this point is not providing any evidence to back up its claims that this was a Palestinian Islamic Jihad rocket. They are citing intelligence that they have not yet made public. We should also say that this kind of death toll is not what you normally associate with Palestinian rockets. These rockets are dangerous, they are deadly. They do not tend to kill hundreds of people in a single strike in the and, you know, th this, is, this is a valid point. This is something that has to be considered. So when Israel is saying that this was a failed uh, rocket launch, um, we've got to ask how this scale of devastation happened as a result of that. Uh, but here is a tweet uh, which has uh, been pushed out by uh, Hanania uh, Naftali, who is, uh, I believe, uh, Netanyahu's deputy media advisor. So this is a journalist. Uh, who gives advice uh, to Netanyahu. And he tweeted this out uh, yesterday, um, saying, breaking Israeli Air Force struck a Hamas terrorist base inside a hospital in Gaza. A number, a multiple number of terrorists are dead. It's heartbreaking that Hamas is launching rockets from hospitals, mosques, schools, and using civilians as human shields. Uh, that tweet was subsequently deleted. Uh, and he then said earlier today, I shared a report that was published on Reuters. Well, he didn't mention Reuters in the tweet, so I'm not sure about that. And he said about the bombing of the hospital in Gaza, which falsely stated Israel struck the hospital. I mistakenly shared this information in a since deleted post, uh, which I, I referred Hamas routine use of hospitals to store weapons, caches and conduct terrorist activity. I apologize for this error. Um, so, you know, what do we make of this, uh, Brian? I don't know what thoughts you might have on it. Well, it still needs a lot more investigation. But of course, the principal problem I see is that uh, an, in, sorry, an independent investigation is extremely unlikely to take place because nobody can get into the Gaza area. So um, what are we to rely on? BBC says it's going to use its fact-checking team to tell us what the truth is. Well, I don't have any faith in that. I don't trust the reports that we're getting in at the moment, but I think I'm going to come back to Debbie's start point, which is at the end of the day, we've got more people and, kill and children killed and what should be happening from UK and the US uh, and Israel and across the world, and including uh, the Strip, is that um, there should be a ceasefire and the hostility stopped. That's what's needed. Okay, so then a tweet. Uh out this morning uh, from, this is from Al Jazeera, breaking news, uh, urgent uh, Israeli army spokesman, we bombed the hospital garage, but there was no direct, there were no direct hits on the hospital. So all kinds of stuff uh, coming out from the Israeli side that have been subsequently walked back on, it seems, uh, if we believe what the mainstream media is saying and their reports. Uh, here is uh, uh, Shira Frankel. Now we've got to be careful because uh, this point here is this is why verification matters. Now, the tweet that she's referring to here has been taken down uh, but because the person uh, or the account was claiming to be Al Jazeera. Now, the previous uh, tweet that I showed you was from an official Al Jazeera account. This was not an official Al Jazeera account. The person was claiming to be from Al Jazeera, but that was not the case uh, and so on. In the meantime, the rhetoric from the Israelis continues to ramp up. This was yesterday at 7 p.m. 
as long as Hamas does not release the hostages into its hands, the only thing that needs to enter Gaza are hundreds of tons of explosives from the Air Force, Air Force not an ounce of humanitarian aid. So look, uh, I'm just going to say, you know, in the time that we've got today, we can't cover this uh, in uh, any more detail. Uh, if you want to see how the narrative has developed, we've got to appreciate that the electronic intifada is coming from a Palestinian point of view. But nonetheless, uh, this particular blog post uh, has captured many of the comments and tweets from the, the, the media, from politicians and so on, and has shown showing how the, the narrative has, has developed. Uh, if you want to go and have a look at that and uh, and follow this. Um, but as uh, just to, to put my voice to this as well, this conflict has to stop uh, and uh, it's time for some kind of negotiations to take place before this escalates any further. Too many people are dying. Um, and uh, later on, we'll be talking about the efforts for peace, if there are any. Um, and then just to end uh, this segment uh, here, just to mention that uh, Zelensky uh, has, is not doing his uh, begging trip to Israel after all because uh, the Israelis have decided it's not the right time. I'm not sure that it's ever the right time, but there you go. No, but we must add that, of course, um, some unrest in uh, Ukraine because it's begun, be going to become more difficult for them to get support while the, particularly the American attention is focused on Israel. But let's move on through. We're going to have a little uh, look at Ukraine. Uh, this is a piece of video clip I've had for uh, a couple of weeks, I think now, but I just wanted to play it in front of you. Um, Zelensky here talking at uh, I think this may even be inside the European Union, but if, if I've got this wrong, uh, look at the change of expression on his wife's face at one particular point. And, uh, I'm just going to say, I, I believe that's Canadian Parliament. That was, oh, that Canadian. Was the yes, you're right. The, the Nazi. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Thank you, Mike. But I, I was just struck by, by the change in this lady's expression and huge... Yes, there we are, because we've got... Uh, uh, Trudeau there. Thank you for that. But huge sadness there reflected. And of course, what's going on on the battlefield where well, the slaughter is still going on, but nobody in the West wants to talk about it. The Ukrainian offensive has clearly failed and stalled. And now the Russians are starting more active um, prosecutions on the front. But a lot of this is not being talked about. If we go to the BBC, um, well, it all gets... Uh, Difficult to see where is Ukraine on the front page. Well, actually, it's in this little box here. And what is the BBC doing in this box? Well, they're getting excited because there's a new wonder weapon on the battlefield. That's the US Attackums, the longer range rocket system. But the key point is that uh, Ukraine disappearing into the background, overtaken by um, what's happening with Israel and uh, Gaza. So here's the BBC article itself, which we'll do very, uh, uh, very quickly. The Biden administration uh, previously refused to provide the, this missile system to Ukraine, but apparently decided in recent weeks to send them quietly. Uh, to me, that means without bothering to tell the public what was happening. Um, but the important thing in the BBC report is this variant of the missile uh, carries cluster munitions, which are these despicable types of munition, munitions which uh, invariably kill civilians uh, and children later on when the, when the rounds are found. Uh, BBC says cluster munitions are controversial and are banned by more than 100 states due to their threat to civilians, but nevertheless, the Americans are pumping them in. But really, I detect the BBC gloating at the excitement of more high-tech death and destruction. This is UK Ministry of Defence, utter propaganda because they refuse to admit that the Ukrainian offense, offensive is now over, it's stalled. Um, there are attacks still playing, taking place, but the Ukrainians are largely attacking without, without proper armour and certainly no air cover. Um, but if we go to this last paragraph here, it says entrenched Ukrainian forces have so far likely held back the Russian advance. But it's supposed to be the Ukrainians that are on an offensive. But no, they're now in a defensive position. Uh, but according to the UK Ministry of Defence, it's the Russians that are taking heavy equipment and personal losses. Well, the reality is that it is the opposite of that. The Ukrainian offensive has stalled. 
And while they're still carrying out some localized attacks, they're suffering very heavy casualties. Well, let's think about the horrible situation in Ukraine. And let's take our minds back to UK column reports. Here is 9th of September 2016. We were picking up on a report in The Sun from our former head of the British Army General um, Dunnett. He said, we must always be careful about our Western presence as it is always far better if troops from the region can do the job. Well, what is he really saying? We need to use other nations as cannon fodder. That was our comment in 2016. But of course, now we can label it. We can see that at that time, they were already preparing for this horrific proxy war using Ukrainian soldiers for a US and UK offensive. And uh, if we have a look at this report from the same period, here's Michael Fallon, the Defence Secretary. Uh, there's a cost, a price you pay if you don't intervene and put troops or peacekeepers in much earlier in some countries. Uh, well, we interpreted at the time uh, uh, the real meaning we said back in 2016 was we need to get the good terrorists in earlier. And uh, if we also have a look at uh, 2017, the UK column was picking up on David Cameron um, getting involved in Libya. Uh, that was the violence being ramped up. Uh, but he was getting very upset here because he was trying to put in 200 million brand new Libyan banknotes worth about a billion. And uh, he said this, why cannot I just, sorry, why cannot I just order that they are going to go and I will provide a waiver and indemnity on the legalities. So he didn't care at all. He was actually warned off by the team around him. Uh, but the aim was to get this money into uh, Libya because uh, this was going to help the rebels and obviously help ramp up the war. And if we do the same sort of analysis with Boris Johnson, the man, of course, who, who many people on an international stage said uh, stopped any form of a, a peace agreement between Ukraine and Russia. Uh, we're going back to October 2017 here. He's saying in respect to Libya, it's an incredible country, bone white sands, beautiful sea, Caesar Palace. Obviously, you know the real one. There's a group of UK business people, actually some wonderful guys. They have a brilliant vision to turn Sirte into, well, with the help of the Sirte municipality, the next Dubai. But this is the really unpleasant comment. The only thing they've got to do is clear the dead, dead bodies away. And the audience at that time in this, uh, in this report was laughing at this comment. Um, and later he had to say on Twitter that he was making a point about the need for optimism in Libya after a recent visit to the country. And he said the reality was that the clearing of corpses of Daesh fighters had been made much more difficult by IEDs and booby traps. And I really wanted to say with this report, we were warning all those years ago what was in the minds of these individuals. And here we are in 2023, and we're seeing the results of what was clearly premeditated, planned violence in a number of countries around the world. Go ahead. Okay, well, if you like what the UK column does, please join us, become a subscriber and uh, help us do what we do. But of course, this also enables you to join in the communities and speak to people. Uh, we'd love you to also have a look at the shop and perhaps make a purchase that assists us financially. Uh, but most importantly, the information we're putting out, we do this for people to share. So um, please feel free to do that. And these are the channels that uh, UK Column Information is coming out on. Now, Debbie, your blog, we hope, will be out today. Uh, just tell us a little bit about uh, what you're covering. Yeah, well, um, as you can see, uh, I've put something on their drug preparation. I'm getting a few emails from people saying to me they're worried about the drug shortages. What can they do? to stock up. And um, you should know that if anyone's going away, you can actually get up to three months of your prescription ahead of time if you need to. So that and a bit more in my blog this week when it goes up. Okay. Thank you for that. Thank you, Debbie. And uh, well, yesterday evening, we, uh, we ran uh, the symposium on 5G, an expose on 5G. 
Uh, the full live stream recording is up on the front page of the UK Column website at the moment, uh, and we will split that up into uh, separate uh, presentations uh, in due course. Uh, but please do have a look at that. Uh, some really interesting information was <laughs> was brought out last night. I think everybody that watched it live enjoyed it a lot. Okay, excellent. Uh, final reminder, well, not a final reminder. Uh, on Friday, uh, Andrew Bridgen will be on Parliament Square at 2 p.m. Everybody uh, is invited to join him and offer some support. Uh, if you haven't emailed your MP yet, to encourage them to take part in the debate, which he is uh, holding in Parliament on Friday on excess mortality, uh, then please do so. But uh, in any case, do get there on Friday, if you possibly can, uh, to support Andrew Bridgen. Okay, thank you for that. And just uh, another reminder that uh, this coming Sunday, Leonardo Hotel Milton Keynes is the AV13 live event. So finally, after all the time that's elapsed since lockdown, uh, we're able to get people back together. So if you've already got your tickets, look forward to seeing you there. I think there are still a couple of tickets available if you um, hurry and get online for that. Well, let's move on to uh, the subject of, well, it's Ukraine, but it's sort of uh, having a look in a little bit deeper about how people see it. We have a video clip here. This is from social media, but I thought it was extremely powerful. It's about duplicity. Yesterday, we saw again Russia's targeted attacks against civilian infrastructure, targeted attacks on civilian infrastructure with the clear aim to cut off men, women, children of water, electricity and heating with the winter coming, these are acts of pure terror. And we have to call it as such. So, so the top video clip, of course, uh, was the lady herself on the lane, but uh, talking about Russia, but underneath were clips of uh, Gaza and the hypocrisy is very clear to see. And I want to contrast that with some remarks from Sergei Lavrov. Uh, this is back on the 4th of October 2017. He said, when double standards are applied, when terrorists are divided into bad and the not so bad ones, one can hardly expect an effective fight against terrorism. Uh, the US-led forces activities stage fatal provocations against our military personnel. He's saying that with a Syrian background. And our policy has an advantage as it's not intended to serve vested interests and has no hidden agenda. We would also welcome everyone who is willing to engage in this joint honest work. So that was the statement. The hypocrisy is plain to see. But one of the things that I have personally been warning about and asking people to think about what it means is who we are dealing with. Are we dealing with national states or are we dealing with vested interests? And another very short clip here um, where we're seeing uh, US Secretary of State Blinken make a comment. Mr. Prime Minister, um, I'm grateful to be back in Israel in this incredibly difficult moment for this nation but in fact, for the entire world. If you'll permit me um, personal aside, I come before you not only as the United States Secretary of State, but also as a Jew. My grandfather, Maurice Blinken, fled pogroms in Russia. My stepfather, Samuel Pizar, survived concentration camps, Auschwitz, Dachau, Majdanek. So, Prime Minister, I understand on a personal level. So it's very emotional, but my simple question is, so who is the master for Mr. Blinken? Is it the United States and the people of the United States, or is it Israel? And this is clearly a problem. It's also a problem that we have in UK. And I think it's beholden on our politicians to be uh, signing uh, their loyalty to, to the country they represent. Um, and you've, you've shown uh, in an audio interview, which uh, we hope to make available shortly, uh, that American politicians are being asked to sign 
for loyalty to Israel. So I believe there's something very wrong here, and it's up to people to challenge this. Um, okay, so the question is, uh, who is calling for peace in uh, Gaza? Uh, and well, let's begin uh, with the Chinese. And uh, sorry, apologies for that. Uh, right, so here we are. Uh, so over the weekend, uh, Wang Yi, who's the Chinese foreign minister, uh, was speaking to Anthony Blinken, who we've just seen. He was stressing that uh, all major nations need to support some kind of international conference on this. He's calling for peace, a peace conference proposal, which, uh, as you can see on screen, this went back. This was originally made in uh, June this year, the 14th of June. This was published by the uh, Foreign Affairs Ministry of Foreign Affairs of the People's Republic of China uh, because uh, Mr. Bass was in China meeting uh, Xi Jinping. Um, so they were calling for this international peace conference uh, proposal then before this latest conflict began. Uh, uh, but of course, it was uh, pretty much ignored. Now, uh, this proposal was raised again by China last week uh, with Brazil, because Brazil is uh, the current chair, because the chair of the UN Security Council rotates and they are the current chair. Uh, so this is, they're attempting to bring this into the Security Council again. Uh, here's what uh, Wang Yi said. China calls for an international peace conference with greater authority and impact as soon as possible to galvanize a more broad-based international consensus. So that's the Chinese position. Uh, this is the Russian position, because uh, Putin has said that Russia is ready to work together with constructive partners to quickly bring a stop to hostilities. So China and Russia calling for an end to this. Uh, not so much in the West. Uh, Jordan here, according to Reuters, has cancelled the summit with Biden, Sisi and Abbas in Amman. Um, so that is not going to take place. I'm not sure what contribution uh, Biden would have been making to this in any case, because he is not, uh, he's clearly not even considering peace as an option at this stage. Uh, this is the comment from uh, the Iranian foreign minister. A new comment on this. Time is running out, he's saying. Uh, they should find a solution within an international framework. Uh, they should know that time is running out and should find a political solution before uh, reaching the boiling pot point. I mean, this is uh, increasingly very dangerous situation in terms of its capability to expand. Uh, and uh, well, of course, as we know, the US have now sent how many aircraft carriers do we believe? Well, the report now? that I saw last night was that four carrier groups were now out. They're not, not all in position, but this is a really significant escalation by the Americans. So they've talked about the Gerald R. Ford going to the Eastern European with a support carrier, but they seem to be now unleashing four carrier support groups on the world. One, of course, will uh, be on station um, in off, off the coast of China, effectively. But this is the Americans really trying to assert their position as the dominant military power in the world. I think it has some weaknesses, but we'll leave that for well, another no, time. Well, we don't have to leave it because here's a comment from Ray McGovern talking about them uh, being in the Mediterranean. So uh, this is what he said, into the Valley of Death, sailed the 10,000 aboard aircraft carriers Ford and Eisenhower, sitting ducks for swarming drones and other weaponry not dreamed of by those who made short work of the charge of the Light Brigade. Perhaps Blinken, Newland, Austin want that, or are they just dumb? Uh, I think that's a really important point. Yeah, the dumb uh, dumb question is an interesting uh, one because I was looking at a short uh, clip of um, Admiral Radikin talking to a, uh, the Defence Select Committee uh, where they were questioning him on the state of the British military and was it ready for war with Russia. As he fumbled and bumbled his way through, he simply would not admit that clearly UK's forces are not ready. And I think the same thing is going on within the Biden administration. Um, certainly, there's been a massive change in warfare. Uh, hypersonic uh, missiles have changed the whole battlefield, as have drones and swarms of drones. Uh, but of course, there is no way that the American military dare admit that it would have any concerns about its ability to conduct what it would regard as normal carrier operations. So I, I think we're going to see some really interesting things um, come out into, into the open. But do I think there's this immense confidence inside the American units themselves? No, I don't. Um, but you know, the question remains, just to finish this off, why is it that it's only Russia and China and the so-called global south that's calling for 
an end, a cessation to the violence and uh, peace. Um, we need to be taking this up with our political leaders because at the end of the day, it's the support of the UK, the EU and, and the United States, which is keeping this thing going. Uh, so this is actually our responsibility to sort out as far as I can see, at least as far as our uh, politics goes. Um, Debbie, yeah. that, uh, did you have something else? Well, I, I was only going to add that uh, Debbie and I spent some time this morning uh, trying to have a look at, at who was calling for peace, and we simply can't find any appreciable government body or the government in UK. Uh, the Church of England has put out a statement where they sort of call for peace, but it's not really... Uh, couched in any strong terms, and certainly we're not seeing um, the Archbishop of Canter Canterbury at the government's door saying you need to stop this killing. Uh, so it appears that there is under the surface, there is a line to keep this violence going, no matter what the cost to the populations in Gaza or Israel itself. Yes. Uh, Debbie, let's uh, move on to health. Yes, and you're quite right, Brian. Stop uh, would be my word at the moment. Just stop. Um, and so going on to health, just to put it into context with Israel and Gaza as well, uh, with regards to vaccinations. Israel, um, I believe now, uh, is only over 6 million um, out of 9 million population uh, vaccinated in Israel. That I think full vaccinated is about 65%. In Gaza, half of the adult population are, have received one dose of the vaccine. So that's just to give you an idea. And let's stay on Pfizer because thank you uh, to Cheryl Granger, our great friend, for sending me um, Igor's, uh, Igor Chudov's uh, amazing uh, a newsletter. This this article is in other publications as well, but I just wanted to give focus to Igor. Um, and when it looks like Pfizer may go bankrupt, apparently, so the stock market may be waking up to the possibility that Pfizer may go bankrupt due to the upcoming COVID vaccine claims. Many parallels can be drawn between the corporate behaviours of Pfizer and Purdue. Pharma. Now, Purdue Pharma are another pharmaceutical company that uh, they were involved in a, a terrible, terrible tragedy where many people were killed and many people were injured and died uh, as a result of opioid addiction. This goes way back. And so now we see that Pfizer could be in trouble. And if we go further on into Igor's um, blog, you can see that there's a comment there from the amazing Ed Dowd, who we will be speaking to very soon, who says that uh, the legal protection granted to Pfizer by the PrEP Act will cease to protect it if significant fraud on the part of Pfizer is discovered. I think my question is, is if Pfizer do go bankrupt, then ultimately there's going to be nobody to claim from. So there's two ways of looking at it. But I'm going to go to the chart that's also on Igor's uh, blog. And quite clearly, you can see there that huge red arrow there of Pfizer um, plummeting. That's the um, Pfizer stock PFE valued at 25% less than five years ago. And as I understand it, Moderna is going exactly the same way. So both Moderna and Pfizer in financial trouble. So keep an eye on those stories. But staying on mRNA, and um, thank you very much to the viewer who sent me this story from Nexus Newsfeed about Airvax, which is the latest mRNA delivered into your lungs. Now we know that the mRNA agenda is still very much on, and we know that mRNA should never have been rolled out to anybody. And all of our experts have said, please, if you've had mRNA, please don't have any more. And if you are and you're worried you've had mRNA, we've got plenty of resources on the website to help with protocols. But this is uh, an mRNA that's delivered straight into the lungs. Uh, so if you're frightened of needles, uh, don't worry, because this could vaccinate the masses. And I'll take people back to Operation Sea Spray, which was back in the 50s, where they sprayed San Francisco Bay. So spraying is possible. And going further into that Nexus news feed um, article, 
you can see airbags could radically change how people are vaccinated. And they talk of nano vaccines. And again, they talk of no needle delivery. And we talked last week about how mRNA should never really have been given through a needle. And not that it should ever have been given in the first place, but it wasn't, uh, it shouldn't have been given through a needle. And we were now looking at medical devices, needle free devices. So staying on uh, injections, uh, the next story is, why do I feel sick after getting the flu shot? Um, well, according to Dr. Kerry Althoff, who's an epi epidemiologist at John Hopkins, she says that um, you're going to feel sick after you've had the flu shot or the COVID booster because your immune system is working hard to make sure that the vaccine does its job. And... Um, she actually says in the next slide that if you felt unwell first time round, expect to feel the same next time round, which is, you know, really reassuring, isn't it? I don't think. But then even then going further on into the article, it says if you still get flu after having the flu jab, don't be alarmed because we change the flu jab every single year. So don't worry, and you might just feel less ill for less amount of time, which again is not terribly reassuring. It also goes on to say that the COVID and the flu booster, uh, that the COVID booster and the flu shot can be given together. And clearly, we know that there is no safety data at all to say that both injections are safe to be given together. So please bear that in mind. Um, the mirror here is reporting that. COVID cases are absolutely shooting up 15,797 cases in um, England and Wales. So the fear starts once again. But then you get sort of disinformation, misinformation, confusing information from the BBC, no less, who are telling us that, well, is it now just a regular winter bug COVID? And actually, last winter, there were more flu deaths than COVID ones, um, over 14,000 compared with 10,000, according to the UK HSA. So lots of confusing information out there and lots of fear mongering that I think we should just take with a little bit of a pinch of salt. Uh, yes, indeed. OK, uh, let's move on to uh, the censorship agenda and so on. Um, now, most people should have uh, seen this by now, but if you haven't looked at the uh, UK column censored page, it's just at ukcolumn.org slash censored, please do so. Uh, but uh, we uh, note on the timeline that's on that page that Ofcom had appointed uh, this lady uh, to become the online safety supervision director. Uh, this was on the 11th of May this year, uh, but unfortunately for her, uh, she has decided to speak out on the Israel-Palestine uh, issue uh, on the favour of Palestinians, and this has gone down extremely badly. So uh, Guido Fox here uh, was pushing out this article, Ofcom Director's Anti-Israel Dogma. That's how they described it. Uh, and uh, so she has now been suspended. So Ofcom has said, having reviewed the comments that she made on social media, uh, this colleague has been suspended pending further investigation. Um, so uh, this is, sorry, this is uh, one of the things that she uh, posted. I haven't put the animation in here, so you can't see what's on the background there. But basically, what she was complaining, what she was saying, was uh, talking about colonialism, about uh, Israel being uh, pretty horrendous behaviour in Gaza, and so on. And overlaid on that is is a a, tw a, a comment on Instagram that she liked from BLM UK. As if it wasn't bad enough, the UK is also set to participate in the ethnic cleansing and genocide of pa Palestinians. Well, this did not go down well with Ofcom who prefer people to take um, a, a neutral position on everything. And of course, it's nonsense. But the point yes. is, uh, the point is, uh, they it's put Ofcom in a very difficult position because they, of course, are becoming the regulator for the whole world, it seems, uh, with respect to not only broadcast media, the BBC, but the internet as well. And if one of their uh, members of staff, particularly someone who's responsible for online safety, is speaking out in this way, uh, then this puts them, they perceive, in a difficult position. So the chances of her holding on to her job, I think, are minimal. Oh, zero. But, but of course, what it's emphasising is the draconian control of Ofcom. Um, we, we'll be speaking about this more 
Yes. Uh, now, uh, Brian on Wednesday was talking about Reiner Fulmich and uh, the fact that he had been arrested uh, or at least deported from Mexico and arrested in Germany, was in prison. Uh, now, this, it turns out, is uh, to do with the claims that were made about him uh, in, uh, when was this, 2022, I believe. Um, this was when uh, his organisation effectively blew up with allegations of him misappropriating money uh, from the original uh, Nuremberg to uh, exercise that he was running at that time. Um, so here is the uh, German prosecutor's statement on what happened. Uh, it says that the uh, Göttingen Police Prosecutor's Office is conducting a preliminary investigation against a 65-year-old lawyer who last resided in Göttingen. Uh, apologies for the pronunciation of that. He is accused of having committed acts of embezzlement as managing director of the Corona Committee Foundation, which was established in mid-2020. The shareholders solicited donations since 2020, which paid by private individuals were to finance the work of the committee. Uh, five bank accounts were opened for the company. Subsequently, payments in uh, substantial amounts were received into these accounts. Investigations revealed that the defendant uh, had a 53-year-old co-defendant make the payment of 200,000 euros in 20 transactions of 10,000 euros each to his wife uh, on uh, November the 10th, 2020. In subsequent period, he is said to have completely consumed the money altogether with her. Uh, in May 27, 2021, he is then said to have transferred 500,000 euros to his private bank account by his own hand and also consumed this amount of money privately together with his wife. Thus, approximately 115,000 euros are being used for the redemption of a private real estate loan, as well as approximately 70,000 euros for the redemption of a personal occupation conditioned credit. So there's some translation uh, issues in that. So, yeah. uh, and you'll just have to take that uh, uh, as it is. But uh, the accused, it then says, stayed for longer than permitted in Mexico. There he was deported in the past week for, uh, you know, illegal alien reasons to Germany. Uh, upon arrival at Frankfurt Airport, he was arrested on the basis of an arrest warrant issued by the Göttingen local court on March 15th, 2023, as requested by the public prosecutor's office on the above charges and taken to a correctional facility. Now, we've got to say, first of all, these are charges. He hasn't been convicted of anything at this point, but you know we did report on the allegations at the time in 2022, uh, and so just wanted to make clear that that is what is going on here. And uh, you know, lots of people are saying, of course, in support of uh, Reiner Fulmich, that this is an attack because of what he's been saying. Yeah. Uh, but as long as we understand what the uh, what the, the uh, legal system in Germany is attempting to do. Indeed. And the other thing to uh, remember is a lot of extremely good evidence was brought in front, front of that uh, um, inquiry. And uh, that still stands, whatever happens uh, with this court case. But we'll wait and see. Yes, because the inquiry wasn't about Reiner Fulmich himself. It no. was about the people that were giving the evidence to the inquiry. And it's the evidence everybody should stay focused on. Uh, and then finally on this, I just want to uh, tell, every, tell everybody that Craig Murray was detained uh, on his way back from Iceland uh, when he arrived in the UK under the Prevention of Terrorism Act. This is exactly what happened to Vanessa Bailey several months ago. Uh, this was, uh, he was there in Iceland meeting the free uh, Assange Now activists and so on. Uh, he was, uh, uh, I guess, held for the usual six hours. Uh, his phone and other electronics were seized. Uh, UK should not be acting as an adjunct to the apartheid colony of Israel, says Mark Hurst. Uh, but that is uh, that is what happened. Now, this possibly the reason for it. This is what he tweeted out uh, prior to uh, this on the 15th. Uh, to be entirely plain, I've always viscerally opposed war. I've dedicated my life to conflict resolution and reconciliation. But in the coming uh, Gaza genocide, every act of armed resistance by Hamas and Hezbollah will have my support. If that's a crime, send me back to jail. Uh, I'm just going to say... I would prefer that uh, Craig Murray and everybody focused on getting this war stopped and not calling for more violence. Uh, I understand the reason for the sentiment, but I think uh, it's time to just keep the focus on getting the thing stopped. Indeed. Okay, thank you for that, Mike. Well, I'm going to say I'd like to bring people's attention back uh, to a time when some strange things were happening in UK. What was happening? What was our government trying to do? 
we need to keep these things in our mind because it helps us understand the fact that we seem to be a nation state at the moment out of control and with a government that simply does as it likes. So this is uh, back here, 20, uh, 2010. Um, this document was actually published 2011, December, but it's the big society. So this was uh, David Cameron's big plan. And there's a bit of comment that goes with this, which has come from Hansard, um, but we have a Paul, F uh, Paul Flynn. I think we all greatly admire your work, Mr. Kruger, but the reality is that on the question of recidivism of drugs in prison, there has been no progress in 40 years. And we have a Home Secretary now who does not want to have revolutionary change. It's the language that I'm interested in this. And this uh, this one goes on until Danny Kruger is... is uh, uh, is responding and he says something which is quite strange it's hard to think of him as a Maoist now he's actually talking about Ken Clark and Danny Kruger goes on to say yes and I think that he's trying to do the right thing if you're asking whether he's going to stay in his job I have no idea I've thought so and I would hope so I think he has the right agenda there I do not think we should underestimate that we are talking about politics and personalities uh, the courage and resolution of David Cameron on this one means he's going to keep on pushing at it. And I think that Ken Clark is going to stay in his job for, I hope, another year, year or two and implement this revolution. Well, if that doesn't seem to uh, resonate with their audience, let's put up this next one, because now we've got big society in the Middle East. Could big society be both cause and cure of the Arab revolutions? And my point here is that we have agents of the British government buried into the heart of the Middle East with an agenda to change society uh, to the benefit of whom? The local Arabs or even the Israelis we simply don't know that because these people are working in the shadows. But that particular report that we had on screen, uh, I'll just pop up this lady um, who was the uh, researcher that actually put the document together. Now, she's done a lot of work with the UK government, but many other charities. And if you go to her particular website, the researchery, um, she states that she's working with a whole lot of uh, charities and uh, funding bodies who seem to be involved in the game of social change. But of course, who decides what the change is and how it should actually come about? This is a very interesting question. Uh, these are some of the clients that she's had, and you can see the Department for Digital Culture, Media and Sport at the top. Pears Foundation, very interesting. Esme Fairburn, who are these people? They're all deciding that society is going to be changed, including in the Middle East, but none of this is declared openly. Uh, this is a bit of text from the report itself. Um, I won't uh, dwell on this too long, but it says, while the beginnings of the Arab Spring, um, sorry, while the beginnings of the Arab Spring youth quake were largely without widespread bloodshed, the current beginning of May situations in Libya and Syria show that there may be a long way to go in the region before levels of, quote, well-being and civic engagement in a big society sense are restored. As Michael Edwards has suggested, civil societies nascent during the times of mass protests and discontent tend to flare up and burn out quickly unless widespread security ensures relatively quickly. The world waits expectantly to see what will happen next. Well, it's very interesting that we're now seeing that what have we got of cauldron of uh, violence and death in the Middle East? And clearly there has been a policy unleashed on the Middle East, which uh, the bulk of the UK public is simply not aware of. And if we add to this, uh, going back again, BBC Newsnight here, what influence did Ralph Miliband have on his sons? And if we do this pretty quickly, um, what it's pointing out is that he was proud to proclaim himself a Marxist. And uh, it says that he was, although he was a Marxist, he wasn't supporting Soviet dictatorships. And in crude terms, he was neither a Stalinist nor a Trotskyist. Uh, Miliband was convinced instead that progress would depend on activity outside parliament through trade unions and other protest groups, liberating themselves through radical activity. And I'm just going to suggest, I believe this is the undertone going on. He goes on to talk about his sons. And um, 
if I just bring that at the bottom of the screen, the Miliband boys were immersed in all this and began contributing from a precociously early age. And uh, this was the uh, photograph that went with the article, David and Ed Miliband, educated in Marxist ideology, promoters also of the Marxist Alinsky in New Labour doctrine. Well, if that was Labour, let's bring our minds back to this gentleman, Eric Pickles from the Conservative Party. Uh, the Guardian article here is still well, well worth reading. We are going to shake up the balance of power in this country. We are going to change the nature of the Constitution, be in no doubt about our commitment to localism. I know I look like an unlikely revolutionary, but the revolution starts here. And if indeed this man is a revolutionary, and I personally believe he's, he is what he says he is, uh, then of course the revolution doesn't just stay in UK because the revolution will ultimately be the desire for a world revolution with all the violence that that entails. And here I'd just like to uh, reflect an interesting uh, email that came in. Hi, Brian, some time ago you mentioned two Tory party prospective candidates that have been dropped because they'd let slip the aim of the Tories in future years. And uh, the person then said, look forward to seeing you at AV13. Uh, but what were they referring to? Well, here's the first one. And this was from the UK column report on the 6th of March 2013. Uh, the Prime Minister and his deputy, Nick Clegg, want their people power revolution to unleash chaotic effects across local communities. Chaotic, therefore, in our vocabulary, he means the Conservative Party vocabulary is a good thing. And the one that goes with this, because these emerged at the same time, is Danny Kruger. He was a Tory candidate at the time. The Conservatives plan to introduce a period of creative destruction in public services. And I'm going to put to our audience today that uh, uh, the era of a true trustworthy Conservative and Labour Party are over. We're in a uni unitary party status, and that party has globalist ambitions uh, way outside the border of UK. And I believe that the violence that we're now seeing unleashed in the Middle East is part of the revolutionary plan. I'll leave you to reflect on that on those comments well speaking of revolutionary plans let's put an image on screen and this is uh, well the bbc is calling it an unprecedented an unprecedented event but on screen on the left there we've got condoleezza rice uh, then we've got fbi director christopher ray uh, then we've got uh, director general mike burgess from the australian security intelligence organization we've got director general ken mccallum from mi5 we've got director david uh, uh, Vigneault, uh, Canadian Security Intelligence Services, and Director General Andrew Hampton from New Zealand Security Intelligence Service, all together on the stage at one time at the Hoover Institute at Stanford, Stanford University yesterday. And, uh, well, I don't know how unprecedented you think that is. <laughs> well, I, I see these individuals as, as um, coming out of the shadows, Mike. They become more and more overt in what they're doing. But uh, so, I think this sort of thing has been going on the shadows for many, many years. So my question is, OK, this was the public event and the feature, you know, the main topic of conversation at the public event was that China is stealing all our stuff. Uh, so this was Ken McCallum saying that 20,000 uh, people have now been approached in the UK by Chinese agents attempting to uh, get hold of Western intellectual property and so on. And so China is the big danger. We've got to deal with China. We're basically going to war with China. That is the message that's coming uh, uh, strongly from this. Um, so, uh, so anyway, uh, we will report more when we've had a chance to look at it in a bit more detail. But I just really wanted to make the point that uh, we are building a narrative against China everywhere at the moment. Uh, and it doesn't, there's no uh, relief from it from Robert F. Kennedy. Now, Vanessa, of course, has criticized him heavily for his position on Israel. Uh, but this is what he was saying uh, a couple of days ago. Iran and China are one organism at this point, And they now, because of BRICS, they now control, and because of Iran's control of Venezuela, they control 90% of the oil supply of the world. Uh, if Israel was not there, China would black, could blackmail the entire world with our energy supply, and that is the most disastrous foreign policy outcome. 
uh, we have an absolutely critical existential strategic interest for being in Israel, for supporting them. Israel has a right to be there. It is not an occupying force. The Jews have continuously occupied it for 3,700 years. Well, apart from the factual inaccuracy in that statement, uh, the point here is that uh, he is, uh, just as every other presidential candidate, including Donald Trump, uh, is absolutely on the China war drums bandwagon. And uh, I think that is extremely concerning. And I just want to end uh, with uh, Putin's speech at the BRICS conference, which has been taking place this week. And, and you know, to say nothing else about it at this stage, other than the fact that this conference is talking about development, developing countries, developing nations. It's its entire basis. There's not a word of, uh, you know, defense contractors. There's not a word of warfare. This is something completely different going on here. And no matter what you think about the BRICS uh, and about the countries involved in the BRICS, uh, I think it's about time Western nations were thinking along these lines and not about blowing up the world, which seems to be our only agenda at the moment. And the only way that this is going to get stopped is if we stop it. Indeed. Thank you for that, Mike. Well, we'll say let's uh, end the news by thinking about the children, wherever they are in the world, but particularly at the moment in the Middle East, the children who are being failed by adult policy. And uh, it's up to all of us, as you've said, Mike, to do something about it. Let's stop the violence and then we can sort out the politics. That's the view of UK Column and we'll end it there. Uh, if you're a subscriber, please join us in a few moments for Extra where we've got a lot more to say. Thanks very much. Bye-bye.